Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to uh, Straight Talk Live. And we're so glad to come with you on this festive weekend. And uh, <clears throat> Straight Talk Live, this we're all about having a dialectical discourse between several great minds and lovers of God and lovers of humanity and uh, realizing that iron sharpens iron, but also that we, our goal is to be like God. Uh, God is just in the tr Trinity of God, distinct but inseparable. And we would like to think as the people of God, we have our distinctions, but we are inseparable through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's our love for God and a love for his humanity that knits us all together. And yet we live in this world and there are many issues that uh, have caused a dystopia instead of a utopia, but we're believing God for ultimately for shalom uh, from his mighty hand. And so <clears throat> I'm gonna turn it over to Dennis, who's with us this morning and let him greet everyone and give us any particulars we need to know. Thank you, Van, and welcome to our audience this morning on um, Facebook and of course on um, YouTube that are being with us and on our podcast on um, Anchor FM forward slash talk straight. I've been getting a lot of response from the podcast, so we're glad you're with us. We are glad to be back. We've had several shows where we weren't one, so we're glad to have the team back and that we're back on to enjoy the show with you. So I'm going to turn back into Van so we can get right on with the panel and discuss what we're going to discuss for the day. All right. Well, I've, I believe we're going to look at two topics uh, today unless the Lord leads us otherwise. Uh, this is the 4th of July weekend, our independence coming up. And also we've just passed through Juneteenth being made a national federal holiday. And uh, <clears throat> we're gonna eventually talk about critical race theory, but isn't it interesting that uh, we have two celebrations of liberation uh, taking place now in the nation. And so I just wanted us to touch on both. I, I know June 2th represents uh, the Emancipation Proclamation uh, of, of the enslaved Africans in the Confederate States and uh, the 13th Amendment census for all free nationally. And then the 4th of July, which is the traditional holiday of America is actually when this nation of European descendants uh, got its liberty from the British and the French and anybody else that was here, the Spanish, just totally free. So uh, I'm gonna open up for um, anybody that wants to jump in. Uh, I know that again, uh, Dr. Elaine, her schedule is tight because this is, she's the hardest working woman in the Christian show business that I know of. So we're gonna let her kick it off first. Good morning, Elaine. Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you all and, and to be back. Um, well, there's a lot to say. Um, about Juneteenth. And uh, my own personal story of that is I didn't even know that Juneteenth existed until I was in seminary. Um, so I didn't know about it until about 20 years ago um, when I had some friends who introduced me to this and to redlining and all different kinds of things because I just had no context. I had no idea about it. So I am so grateful that now more people um, are going to be learning about this. And um, I think it's really neat that we have two different opportunities to give gratefulness to God. 
um, for, for freedoms, for announcements of freedoms, um, different things along that line. So I'm grateful. All right. Well, <clears throat> we have with us today, uh, Dr. Lois and Dr. Sterling is with us today, my brother from another mother. And uh, so either one of you can jump in on uh, the Juneteenth, 4th of July uh, correlation or any thoughts you may have on the two. You go ahead, well, Sterling. I need to hear from you, brother. <laughs> well, I, actually, I have no thoughts about Juneteenth or the, um, or the um, 4th of July. I think Frederick <laughs> Douglass said, you know, how in the world can we be celebrating a nation uh, that's liberated when all of my people are in slavery. So, um, talk uh, about it, Sterling. What did Frederick say? Well, yeah, I mean, he was very clear on that. <laughs> so, and he was speaking to, well, actually speaking to the world now, but in effect, you can't talk about uh, independence when you have uh, thousands of people who are in shackles and operating uh, as, as animals making money for you and you're celebrating. So I, I think that it has been and is perhaps um, uh, an anomaly that, that has been set in place by the enemy. I mean, how can a nation that was built on slavery and that's still full of racial discrimination today possibly have um, biblical rooted uh, independence is a question that I've labored with over the years. Mm -hmm. Anyway. That, that's where I am on that. Okay. So, so I'm probably the cynic on, on, on the show today. Oh, I don't know about <laughs> all that. We just, the rest of us just smile a lot more. That's all. <laughs> we'll see what Lois has to say. Well, I'm just, <clears throat> I just would like to read the, uh, uh, the Galveston Tri-Weekly News, which printed General Order Number 3 on June 20th, 1865, the day after it was issued. The people are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the, and the connection theretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedom, the freedmen are advised to remain at their present home and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect all uh, collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere by order of the Major General Granger. And I just think it's so <clears throat> ironic that. Uh, says it involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property and how documentation is important written things are important spoken things are important but what really matters is what we do and how we live and how we really treat each other um, because you know there's not an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property today uh, there is, you know, in, in writing, there is in many documents, but I think, I think Juneteenth is a challenge to us and July 4th is a challenge to us to continue to do the, the work of true, of truth, <laughs> 
in in um in the way that we view people and uh and and actually interact with people uh based on the words we say you know they say words are cheap these words were very important and it's a holiday that's important to celebrate but just like sterling said you know uh, the Declaration of Independence was important, but it was made in a country where, you know, women certainly weren't equal, you know, yes. uh, Blacks weren't equal, Native Americans weren't equal. So, you know, we got a lot of work to do. Excellent. Well, you know, and this, mm -hmm. this brings, uh, uh, Dennis, unless you want to jump in as well, I mean, I... Yeah, yeah Van, I just wanted to just say that, um, I guess I'm a little like Sterling is in terms of where we are in terms of going between Juneteenth and um, July 4th. But I was reading this week a book by uh, Vanilla uh, Randall, which is Dying While Black. And it was an interesting analogy of the medical condition of Blacks uh, in this country that go back to talk about disparity in healthcare. You know, we talk a lot about disparity in social and economic, but also in healthcare, that is uh, tremendously um, looked at in terms of how we uh, look at things. I've had the opportunity of seeing my dad not get the proper treatment with his diabetes when he was coming along, that uh, there was a report on Nightline back to when the, um, um, the 80s, where it showed that when Blacks went to the doctor, they were always recommended to amputate limbs where um, other races weren't given that option right up front. But with Blacks, it was always amputation right away. And my dad had both his legs amputated and a few fingers and all before he was, um, before he passed away. So I think that we, we look at this disparity and we've seen it a lot throughout the history, uh, not only just in the social and, and when we talk about, and, and we're gonna talk about systematic racism, but we talk about the institution that seems to uh, look at different races and decide that they're not a part of what they should be. Or as Sterling, I'm gonna take Sterling's language, look at other people as animals. We have a, we have a real disparity to not seeing people as, as people. And, mm -hmm. and we're faced with that. And I think the problem is in the church as well as uh, in society. Yes, thank you for that, Dennis. And uh... I feel very bad for what your father had to pass through as well. Um, and there's so many horror stories. It's just like the Jewish Holocaust. There's so many stories of the Black Holocaust that has gone on as well. But, but I think that uh, this can be a very teachable moment, to put it in a positive light for our nation, that we, we, we need to acknowledge, uh, yes, there is a 4th of July, and yes, there is a Juneteenth. And what is that telling us as a nation? And what is this nation displaying to the world? And I think that in our nation right now, when so many are working hard to cut off the rest of history and only present the whitewash version, the sanitized, the romantic version, and not the underbelly side of what we went through uh, it was uh, Derek Bell, uh, who is the critical race scholar, black man, uh, did his doctorate at uh, Harvard. He wrote a book called uh, Faces at the Bottom of the Well, Faces at the Bottom of the Well. And mm -hmm. that book 
uh, just blows you away with the reality uh, of this whole issue that we're talking about right now. But there are many in our nation. It's, al it's almost like, you know, there is a common grace, Lois. There's a theology of the common grace of God. And then there's the saving grace of God. And when we go back to the legislation, we're, we are glad that the legislation took place. But we realize that just because you sign a document doesn't mean the attitude and disposition of a of a nation is going to change towards a particular people. And, uh, you know, it, it's like I'm, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. It's that kind of attitude. And uh, so we need a nation that that uh, not only experiences the common grace of God to live up to laws, but the saving grace of our Lord. And to get saving grace, we know as Christians, you got to face the fact that I'm a sinner before a holy God. I, I've sinned. I am a sinner. You have to face the reality. And this nation uh, has got to face the reality that nobody in this generation uh, was back there, but we are living with the residue. Some are enjoying the privilege that were established through the Independence Day, and others are going through the oppression that came along with it at the same time. So it's paradoxical. They're both true. And we've got to own that. We've got to acknowledge that. Or there can be no real grounds for reconciliation. And we're not trying to expose it to, to drum up hate, as some are saying, but it's to drum up the truth. Because in the end, only truth is going to set us free. And so we must speak the truth in love. And that's what we're trying to talk about here on Straight Talk. We're, we're speaking the truth. And and, and I'm glad that everybody here has a heart for reconciliation. And we want the Lord to be glorified in this nation to be blessed. Uh, that has been a blessing in some respects to all of us. I know it's a twofold love-hate relationship, double consciousness, as Du Bois said, for the black man. But nevertheless, there is a degree of blessing uh, that is here for us by the grace of God. And so the acknowledgement of both Juneteenth and July can be put in a positive light by our nation to say, listen, these are the historical facts. And we are going to take advantage of that to bring reconciliation and restitution where it needs to take place so that we can become the nation, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. You know, Van, I think what you said was just, just said was so important because a lot of people uh, I've been getting the feeling from folks that are uh, are worried about or against uh, critical race theory um, for its, you know, uh, certain points um, are worried that, you know, uh, if you're criticizing your country, you're not a patriot, you're, you don't love your country, um, you don't believe in America, you know, and things like, you know, if you don't, if you don't love it, leave it, you know, if you don't like what's going on here, just leave, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, when you see something that has such potential, that has such, uh, there's, there's so much that's beautiful about America. And there's so much that is beautiful about uh, our constitution and the way that, you know, we're set up and the things that people have bled and died for um, and, and continue to. It's not because you, you hate America or you're not a patriot that you want to fix the things that need fixing. It's because you see the potential in it. And, uh, and you see 
Um, if there's injustice, it needs to be righted to justice so that we can be that shining beacon on a hill to the world. Um, you know, but if the world looks at us and says, uh, wait a second, you guys say this, but you're doing this, you know, uh, what, what kind of reputation is our beloved America getting across the world? Mm. Um, and, and I just wanted to say one more thing uh, here is that as I was looking uh, at this document, it says, you know, the freedmen are advised to remain uh, quietly, you know, at their present homes and work for wages. Can you imagine? That's like saying, you know, like a, a person who's, who's uh, in, enslaved in human trafficking and saying, uh, you know, by the way, you know, everybody's free now, but you have now you have to stay here and do what you were doing before. Only we'll pay you. We'll pay you a little bit, but you're probably going to have to pay rent anyhow that you can't afford, and you'll never really get out of here, you know. So that that's a a lot of paradoxes. We have to be willing yeah. to work on paradox. I think. Yes, Elaine, back around to you. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's really important to find some comfort and some comfortability within that paradox uh, because we're so used to being either right or wrong or fixing things. Um, and I think it's important for us to just be able to sit for a while in that um, and embrace it for what it is. And then, you know, consider what we can do um, to help alleviate things because um i think i think you all are right you know we are in a critical time right now mm -hmm. and uh, it's time to get somewhat comfortable with the uncomfortable yes mm -hmm. yes you know i i when i uh, preach wherever i preach i open up with this phrase in prayer it's a prayer i say lord uh i ask him to give me the tongue of the learned that i can speak a word in season to him or her that is weary but i always say lord uh, let your word uh, comfort the disturbed and comically disturb those who are too comfortable. <laughs> so it's a two-edged sword, Elaine. It's a two-edged sword indeed. That it can cut, but it does right. it brings healing, comfort, and it disturbs those who are too comfortable, which we are all guilty of from time to time for sure, you know. And um, so I didn't mean to cut you off. Are you through with your thought, Elaine? Yes. Uh -huh. Oh, okay. Well, it's just so good to see all of you. I feel like I've been away forever. But you know, on critical race theory, that is really a hot topic in our nation today. And people that know nothing about critical race theory are commenting that it's the boogeyman. Even Pat Robinson came out and said that it is a evil monster. And uh, I wish I could sit down with Pat because I've been to, I've been to region. I've been to, I stayed at the Founders Inn. I've stayed there. Uh, I even gave a lecture there one time when uh, Dr. Young E. Cho showed up and that just eclipsed everything I was doing that weekend. <laughs> but I would love to say to Pat, Pat, what have you read? What do you really know? And this is the thing that sticks in my crawl, uh, which I would call a, a epistemic violence, an epistemic violence in the reality that um, all these comments are being made by uh, leaders who are not well read on the subject of critical race issue and the, the Southern Baptist Conference 
and others, Pat Robinson and, and others that I've heard, I can't remember all the names, uh, but they've not talked to any black brothers or sisters about it to find out our take. And again, the fourth point, there, see there are only four major themes in critical race theory. And the fourth point, and I'll get to the other three later, is uh, what, what's called, now this is, this is a thematic structure. The fourth most important thing about critical race theory is centering voices, centering voices uh, of people of color so that, that there aren't just white voices dominating the discussion and discourse. And that the real reconciliation attitude, I think it was Jamar Tisby, Lois, who said that, you know, the arc, uh, awareness, relationship, commitment. Well, my point is, I would never think to speak on women issues without first consulting with women. <laughs> and maybe I should just sit down and let them talk, you know, but I would, that, that's the way I feel about this issue that there's black feelings about critical race theory and they're not giving us a audience. They're not, Pat Robinson didn't ask anybody that looks like me, what do you think about critical race theory and why? They just write it off because they say so. And I'm, I'm, I'm pushing against that. I'm not, I'm not giving into that. Uh, conceptual integration is the way scholars should handle any issue. Conceptual integration is the way to handle these issues. So I'm gonna stop right there and not share the other points on this so we can keep a round table going here. <laughs> Anybody else wanna jump in, please? Start with I just sent a, a couple of links in the in the chat that I think uh, Dennis, if you're willing to to share that on the Facebook page, would be great. Um, Jamar, where are you, Lois? Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, um, Jamar Tisby sent an article, uh, uh, um, email, uh, I'm on his email list this week, and it said, "This is the article on critical race theory I've been waiting for." Um, it's, and he talks uh, about Andre Johnson's article, Where Did White Evangelicalism's Hatred of Critical Race Theory Really Begin? Yes. And so those two links, um, I think, would be helpful for people um, who are thinking about this and wondering, you know, what is this all about and why is everybody freaking out? Yeah. But um, I was wondering, um, you recently, Van, recommended... Um, Richard Delgado's book, the third edition of Critical Race Theory and Introduction. And I, I was wondering if you can say anything more about his book. Um, well, I could, but I, I, I wanted to touch on another side of it. First of all, I've read the article that Jamar Tisby is, I've already read that article, but I just wanna say that, you know, I wanna say some things about it from my little bit of limited knowledge but uh, there are many kinds of critical theory and critical theory of itself is not bad. It's a matter of making a judgment call, you know, does eat the meat and throw out the bones. And all of us who have gone through rhetoric, who have been in uh, classes of debate, uh, of, of scholarship, that you gotta look at the good and the bad, you gotta look at both sides and weigh the issues. That's what critical theory is all about. It's, it's, a, it's, not, it's, a, it's a hermeneutic of suspicion, a hermeneutic of suspicion that you, you, you just ask a lot of questions about whatever is being stated to make sure that you arrive at a better understanding. 
And so that's what we're all about. But it was now when you get to critical race theory, uh, that was started in the 70s, as Sterling knows, by Derek Bell, who was a lawyer. And here's the motive for critical race theory. And there are many kinds of theories, but in critical race theory, uh, Derek Bell was only concerned that uh, we have laws and policies that discriminate. That's the systems. That's the st structural problem. He was, he was a lawyer and he was also a legal scholar. And he wanted to get at a civil rights on those things. So he looked at uh, the ways you critique, the way you critique. And his goal was that he wanted to see a better end. So four areas, Lois, that I think are important uh, for our time frame that we have already say is that, that number one, critical race theory believes that uh, racism is normal in America. It's not a Oh, where did that come from? It's normal. It's just normal. Uh, the way American society was intentionally structured. And I want to say that intentionally by the elite, by the elite, the creme de la creme of any kind of political structure, you know, it's the elite. So racism is normal. Number two, there's this thought of intersectionality, which means no person has a single unitary identity that when you say, well, people are being discriminated, you say, well, women. And then when you say women, you say, well, wait a minute, black women and white women. So there's a lot of parts that go into uh, any kind of uh, critical situation. So that's intersectionality there. Then we have, and this is where America comes in, the fourth area that, the, the fourth, third area, excuse me, of critical race themes are interest convergence. Interest convergence is a, anti-racist movement that tends to make progress when it is in the best interest of those in a position of power. In other words, when America wants to look good to the world, uh, then it'll go along with, okay, 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 Martin Luther will, will, will sign the civil rights bill. You know, that'll make us look good to the nation. Our hearts aren't in it. We fought you tooth and nail, but we'll finally give in because that makes us look. So it's only when it's in the best interest of the power base that they will uh, all of a sudden make moves that progress our nation. And that, that is not a symbol of change of heart. That's a symbol of, oh, I just wanna look good in front of the audience. That's like a husband and wife that had a knockdown, drag out argument. And then they go to church and smile at each other. Well, we, you just know you just had a fight in the, in the house and you're not gonna be talking when you leave, but you got the church and you had to put a smile on. Well, in America tries to put a smile on. So, so Derek Bell, and I, I, I encourage everyone to read his book, uh, Faces at the Bottom of the Well. And uh, Michelle Alexander, who wrote The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration. Uh, Derek Bell was one of her professors and uh, he blew her class away because he said, you know what? Racism is never going to end in America. It's not ever going to end. And it said, she said, it kind of killed my optimism. But as I've gotten older, she said, Michelle, she says, I realized, you know what? He might be right. But the only nobility, Sterling, that is left for us if racism is going to be here until Jesus comes is the nobility of the struggle. We must still struggle for our freedom, the nobility of the struggle. And being, being uh, the youngest of the three black guys on this program, I'm the youngest between <laughs> Sterling and Dennis, uh, I, I, I've come to agree with Derek Bell in the sense that unless the Lord 
drops them in a, a visitation on this planet, that, on this nation that just reverses it. Uh, I think racism is going to go on until Jesus comes, but he's always going to raise up Ezra, Nehemiah's, Jeremiah's. God has always had a people, and our goal is to be one of those people till Jesus comes. And the last thing I'll say, Lois, is that um, I think also this Dr. Mark Lamont, he faced Christopher Rufo. Christopher Rufo, if you look it up, anyone, he is the main agon, uh, advocate against critical race theory that Trump and all the people that are standing against it, they're drawing from this man named uh, Christopher Rufo, who it works for the Manhattan Institute. And, and Lamont, Dr. Lamont, who is a PhD at Temple University, my brother, he, he does a very civic dialogue with him, very respectful. But I think he lays ax to the root that we understand that this argument, that we don't let brief and un, unsubstantiated subjects, uh, thoughts by those who have not taken the time to first just sit and listen and learn and read and research before you go public, which is the political thing to do. Uh, but scholars don't do that. Scholars should not do that. We need to have intellectual integrity, and I'll stop right there. I think that uh, the, the essential conversations regarding race in America have been hijacked and curtailed by broad narrative attacks I can't get over launched by Christopher Rufo and you're right he's a senior fellow at Manhattan Institute and the attacks by Rufo and other critics other pundits and politicians including conservative evangelicals who have joined the effort are shutting down critical race equity work mm -hmm. critical race uh, equity conversation in institutions across this country. So, so this is a strategy, that this whole issue, it's about um, shutting down discussions about race in, in uh, schools and universities and governments and, 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 and extending it further into our, so that it doesn't go any further into society. Mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily see it as anything other than uh, a political strategy that is designed to um, cover the belly of the Western belly, cover the belly mm -hmm. of the West. Uh, the, the, this, effort, this effort started, if you remember now, and I just want everybody to just sink with me just for a moment. This effort of, critical, of, of countering critical race theory started weeks, just a few weeks after the public outcry over the murder of George Floyd. Before that, you did not hear about Bell's work and, and it being a negative. Matter of fact, it was just a course of study. But Rufo, Rufo penned a piece describing racial equity in government as radical. Mm -hmm. he, he said it was an aggressive, new racist, racialist, ideology to fund a corrupt consultant class while maligning all white people. Now you think about that for a minute. How in the world are you gonna malign all white people? Only all white people can malign all white people. No, no, <laughs> if, oh, I mean, if you, no, I'm serious. 
if, if it wasn't if it wasn't so terrible, it would almost be a, a comic strip, right. because because um, um, Trump's administration adopted Rufo's efforts to shut down conversations on race, and, and and in documents explaining the order that banned the use of the term systemic racism, among others. They elevated similar narratives across the country, attacking critical race theory and, and, and racial racist ideologies. And so I've been talking to a group here in, in Texas, so a bunch of great pastors, um, and a large number of them are evangelicals and Pentecostals. And and uh, and and one just said, you know, I really I really don't know where I stand on this thing because there's so much coming at me at one time. Well, that's a strategy. See, that's a marketing and advertising strategy. Just fire right at you until you just ate. And so they got all these billboards that's got that has these floats and burgers and fries. And before you know it, you're stopping at the nearest Dairy Queen. Come you, on, come on now. Yeah, you weren't hungry, but because they just fired at you, it 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 hit the mind and the mind went to developing this data. And so it triggered something that made you think you were hungry. Well, that's where we are right now. And so I, I think that uh, we, we, have to, we have to do more uh, in, the, in line of countering uh, this, these terms that are being used to try and paint um, systemic racism as okay. They don't say those words, but they're trying to paint it as okay. It's almost like uh, what was read earlier that says that you're free but you can't leave the plantation. <laughs> you know, you're free people now. You got total freedoms of everybody else. However, you can't. Well, the moment you say, I can't do it, you just negated your declaration of freedom. Yes. And I, I don't mean to. to uh, no, that's good. Things. That's good. That's absolutely good. It's so right. And you know, Dennis, is it not true historically that if the white church had really stood up as the con moral, the conscience of God in politics and morality, if in not only the white church at, during slavery, but even down from ages on, the black and white coming together finally, uh, in many ways on doctrine, on worldview, if we spoke up more as salt and light, critical race theory wouldn't even be necessary on planet earth. Because we, we are called to speak the truth in love. And if the church had been doing its job and not complicit, then people like Derek Bell maybe not would have, would have been a secondary issue. Do you not agree, Dennis? I, I agree, Van. But, you know, we, we've got to remember that this nation, in terms of what we call uh, nationalism, uh, and we get to Christian nationalism and white nationalism, has has this viewpoint from a European standpoint that we came here with this, they came here, Europeans came here with a kind of superior attitude anyway. And so the congregational churches, which good, started good, good. in the Northeast, had that sort of idea. And so as it started going down, even when you had the Southern churches, and remember the governor or, or the, the governor of Georgia brought in John Wesley to, to uh, sort of convert the Indians and the black slaves and he failed miserably yeah. and, went, and went back to England. So, you know, you've got this idea. And I think that when, when we start looking at the church and I looked at the Civil War era and saw that the church was on both sides of the issue in the North and in the South, 
You had yeah. Southern mm -hmm. churches that were uh, kind of supporting slavery and Northern churches that were abolitionists. So the church is really kind of stayed in the middle of this whole argument. And we mm -hmm. have this, we can see it with the Southern Baptist Convention that, yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, that just left with this whole idea of the church really not wanting to address this. And I think if we can't address this in the church, we sure can't address this in society. Yeah, that's and, and I agree with you, Van. Uh, we're probably going to have this problem until until Jesus comes. But we've got to we've got to fight and understand that if we're going to really fulfill the if the gospel is really the good news. Yes, it can't be good news unless we all, from an equality basis, face the salvation issue and look at the salvific idea that the gospel is for all people yes. of all races and we all embrace the gospel message. It Amen. can't be one thing for one and another thing for the other because when Jesus came, his whole issue was to deal with the religious right mm -hmm. and what they were talking about. And so it becomes good news. Why is it good news? Because I want to release you from the traditions. I want to release you from all of the, the things that the, that the religious are talking about in the upper class, even in Jesus' day. And, and, and Elaine, you probably can help me out with this, but I had read that most of the Pharisees in Jesus' day had a threefold prayer. They wanted not to be a, a, a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. And so uh, look at that. That's that racial disparity. Even even in in Jesus' day, and and a good Jew did not even want to. Uh, well, they had to get this elitist idea of racism because, as far as they were concerned, they were trapped because yeah. they were in bondage to the Roman government, and so the only area of superiority they had was their heritage, and so they begin to look at it from that standpoint, and so we get this struggle throughout history of mm. one nationality fighting over another nationality and, and we're, we're coming together and then racial divide from nationality lines. And so the new world was all about eliminating all of that, which we had in Europe and other countries. So coming to the new world, the Americas, was a way for the French start for society in general. That's what it was supposed to be. That's why this was called the new world because this was gonna be the beginning of a whole new look at society. And it wasn't, it, it became the same old thing. Or we say in the neighborhood, same old, same old. Yeah. What do you well, think, Elaine? What do you think, well, Elaine? Well, well, hold on just a second. Well, she's gonna leave the Dennis, show. She's gonna leave the show, yeah. I think. Dennis, Dennis, let me add one piece to your statement. You mentioned equality. May I also include equity? Yes. Yes, okay. Yes. All right, I'm done. Right. All right. right. Before Elaine leaves us, Sterling, <laughs> let's <laughs> jump in there. <laughs> oh, I so appreciate you all. <laughs> I do. So um, in regards to critical race theory, I am very much in the learning process. I had no idea what it was until about a year ago, um, to be completely honest about it. And so I've been reading and learning and uh, getting all sorts of um, videos from people, um, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, um, so, oh, there's so much to say. What I'm noticing is that there's a popular side to this and there's an academic side to this. And the popular side 
is going insane. <laughs> and the, the academic side is more or less saying, hold on just a minute. Mm -hmm. This is about, it's about people. It's about learning who they are and their story and making sure that they're included. Not so much that they're taking over or we're taking over or anything like that, but just understanding that there's there's a different viewpoint there's different understandings there's different history out there okay. yes now with that being said i had a really interesting conversation with a couple of friends i think it was a couple of weeks ago now and we were talking about um george floyd and how so many white people were you know for the first time they were really seeing what happens uh, to, to black people on a regular basis. And so there was this big push to include and to advocate and to fight for and on behalf of. But then with critical race theory, which is coming right alongside at the same time, the popular version of this has just exploded. And many of those people who were wanting to advocate and to um, be activists and all different kinds of things, they have stepped back because of critical race theory. That was the idea. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's the strategy that I was speaking of. Yes, here. yes. And so it was very interesting because in this conversation, I said, people are stepping back because they don't know and they don't understand critical race theory. Yes. And the fear of not knowing and understanding, it's easier to shut out rather than stay in and try to learn some different perspectives yes. um, on things. And so um, it was just a very, very interesting conversation. And that's, um, and, and I wish you could have seen their faces. They're both black women and they were just stunned um, when I said that, that, you know, critical race theory has really pushed people um away from being the people that god's called them to be right um and i more than anything regardless of where people stand on critical race theory which is very important regardless of where they stand i just want for us to realize that we're talking about people mm -hmm. uh, people who are created in god's image and if we ever forget that Mm -hmm. If we ever step away from that, then, oh my goodness, God have mercy on us. Yes. And Elaine, isn't that what Jamar Tisby says? You got to have, you know, awareness, but the second part of art is relationship. Yes. You got to have, mm -hmm. and, and then the commitment, you know, mm -hmm. so you're absolutely so right. That's how we hold our feet to the fire. Mm -hmm. that, that if we have to look at each other, we'll be more careful about what we say. Mm -hmm. And then also, uh, Elaine and Lois, I think it's true in Sterling, I know how Sterling feels about this, is that, you know, anytime in the world, the, the church should not should be on the avant-garde of what's going on in planet Earth, because we, the church reveals the wisdom and the nature of God, and God is aware of everything. So if we're tuned in him like we should be about earthly things, then we should be on the avant-garde and not playing catch-up all the time. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then if something does come up, we ought to run to the issue, learn to understand it, comprehend it, and then after all the research, come back with a 
thesis on whatever it is we've investigated, you know, uh, as a result of that. But also, uh, we're down to the last 15 minutes, I guess, Dennis. Uh, I think also this issue of uh, uh, colonialism has really been in my heart lately that, you know, when we when the Europeans decided to colonize, discover, discover new worlds, uh, they colonized wherever they went. And in their colonization, they had the blessing of the church, the papal uh, blessings, you know, they had the uh, financial backing of the government, whether it was a king or a queen, but they also had this enlightenment thing. And I brought, Joel Goza brings this out in his book, Unholy Ghost. They had, they had this enlightenment feeling that uh, they were the only ones that uh, were given to rationale. So who better to control the world and save the world than Europeans under the enlightenment? And that's what comes. Now, I think one of the things I'm working on right now is that I think we need to decolonize America. <laughs> we need a gospel that will decolonize and we need more uh, post-colonial theologians and scholars and uh, Sunday school teachers and Christian writers. We need to be post-colonial that we're trying to get the negative side of colonization out of our system and out of this nation so that the pure gospel, as Dennis said, we don't even want Christian nationalism. We just, just out with all of that. But we've got to really recognize that we've got to decolonize and therefore we must be uh, post-colonial scholars and theologians. And, and that's what we're trying to accomplish, uh, which is anti-racism for sure. But I think we need to expose it and we need to, you know, even though they control most of the media, you know, most of the media is not controlled by marginalized people. But in every avenue that God has given us, uh, my prayer when I did it on night, I say, Lord, whether on Facebook or YouTube or television, uh, the, the few times that we can speak, and I think, I, I hope all of us will pray this, the few times we get to speak up personally and through whatever media we get, that the Lord would so anoint those words that we don't have to make an eight-hour speech, but just a few words that we say would be anointed and just touch the hearts of people and destroy the shackles from their eyes to awake to the truth and be reconciled for the glory of God. Grant, let me jump in here for a minute. Yes, sir. I think the other thing with this is when we talk about uh, the idea of racism, we also need to talk about the idea of class structure. Yeah. Because this is what it's really all about, too. Getting back to the Aryan controversy and the whole idea is how people see themselves as superior, equals, or inferiors. And I think that's been a class structure, no matter what the nationalities are. We have it in every culture. There are those who consider themselves superior, those who consider themselves inferior. Very rarely do they consider equals. So right. if I'm considered su superior, it doesn't matter what I think of you in yeah. terms of if I consider you an inferior, you'll never be my equal because you're inferior anyway. I need to keep you in an inferior attitude. And I think that's the attitude that's developed right. in this country with Blacks, you know, being three-fifths of a person. Is that yes. uh, yeah. I understand who you are and I, and I accept you, but as an inferior, you will always be an inferior. Yeah. Wasn't, that the same, wasn't that the same issue that Jesus had when he stopped at the well and he's yes. talking to this Samaritan woman and uh, and it was like unheard of. Well, that's because right. they considered them to be inferior. Same that's right. Yeah. 
Well, well and that's then where it, we are. If we're considered yeah. inferior, how are we ever going to be considered right. equal if there's <laughs> always going to be superiors and inferiors? And it's I never think, that equal. Right. And Dennis, if we go back to the root of this thing, like uh, Joe Goza was talking about, Martin Luther King was trying to go back to root, you have men like uh, Immanuel Kant, Carl uh, mm -hmm. von Linnaeus, who actually taught a scale of inferior to uh, superior to inferior, uh, superior being white, that's the social construct, white is, is superior, and at the bottom of this classification are blacks who are inferior. And so this whole social construct, this binary between black and white was initiated by Immanuel Kant, Carl von Linnaeus, and others uh, through the Enlightenment, the slave master uh, 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 myth coming out. And so unless we deal with that issue of, I always believe that the gospel, Dennis, should take those who feel inferior and raise us up, but those who right. feel superior, bring them down. And it's, that's the place of e equity. That's where the Bible says a Hebrew idiom, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, which I understand to mean that no matter when you started the race, because it's the grace of God, we all cross over the finish line together. And the, the superior and the inferior need to meet at the cross and come to a place of true equality. Well, well you took my thunder because that's where I was going because Sterling brought up this idea of equity and that's where I was coming at with the superior and the inferior coming to the right. place so that we could get to this equality, which we have. And you know, when we talk about that, we we, we're talking about Lewis, what about, about, about women? You know, here we are now. We we got to talk about women being in place, whether black or white. Uh, we got to talk about not only racism. We talk about sexism. It just goes on and on. The car, the engine, the whole train starts hooking up more cars as we get to this. And so there's a separation between what fuels the engine. In this case, as Elaine mentioned, George Floyd has fueled this engine that now all these cars are being attached. Ra racism, cultural bias, sexism. Yeah. And, and so now we've got these cars as the train's becoming longer and longer. So now there are barriers in front of the engine that's trying to push this, that's saying, no, this doesn't even exist. This is not here, but it is. So we're, we're getting, so now we got, we really have a bad issue. Yeah. But where iniquity does abound, grace does much more abound. And uh, if it's fight or flight, I say, let's stand and fight. <laughs> let's rumble in the jungle. Let's rumble. <laughs> is there not a cause? I mean, is Goliath that big that David under the anointing can't bring that giant down? I think we need to rumble to this until Jesus comes. I think I think we need to get you a pulpit so you can preach. Yeah. <laughs> oh. What do you think, Lois? Bring us home. Okay, well, this is what I'm thinking is Isaiah 40. Um, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make oh, yes. straight in the desert a highway for our God. Yeah. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain will be made low. The rough ground shall be made level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all people will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Yeah. 
And, you know, I remember years and years ago reading a book, I think it was by Tommy Tenney, who talked about our lives. We have things that, that God needs to bring down in us and things that God needs to bring in us uh, up yeah. in us so that the glory of the Lord can be revealed. But he says people need to be able to run right up your back to, to heaven, to see Jesus, to see God. And, and as the things that have been so proud and haughty and, and, and superior and, and all this stuff in our country, as people can humble themselves and white people I'm talking about, those that have been in power um, and also you know men who have been in power who have needed to come and be humble about their, their yes. situation and, and women and blacks and, and Native Americans and people who have you know, been vulnerable and, and poor and are, are brought up that, that the glory of the Lord can be revealed here. That has to be our goal that, you know, we don't want to just, you know, fix racism in America. We don't want to just have, you know, a new theory or a new idea. We want God's glory to be revealed. And, mm -hmm. and that can happen as these valleys are raised up and mountains are made low, the rough ground becomes level, the rugged places of plain for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, we need a pulpit for you too. <laughs> I'm ready to get saved now, Lois. I'm ready to, I'm ready to yield. I, uh, I, I come from a Baptist tradition. I'm ready to take up an offer. <laughs> All, right. All right, come on. <laughs> I'm ready to make the altar call. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, uh, Lois, there's a, I can't, I can't think of her name right now, but she is a uh, teacher at um, a Wellesley College, a woman's college. And uh, I taught a course at Gordon-Conwell on the Bible and race three years ago. And uh, there is a YouTube, uh, it's entitled Unpack Your Parachute. Yeah, and I'm familiar with that. You play with There's that? Also so a book. There's also a book with the same title. Okay, mm -hmm. well, the, the professor, it's a woman professor at Wellesley, and she, she had a, uh, a staff of uh, black uh, females on her staff. And she was talking about how men, she had to fight with men always to have that equality in academics. And one day she turned to her staff, which were black females. They said, well, you are the same way towards us that they are towards you. And she said, she's a Christian now. She said, oh, no, 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 I don't believe that. And so she went home just irate. And she said, she got on her knees and said, Lord, if there is some kind of racism in me, show me. Mm -hmm. And over the next month or so, she said the Lord kept showing her like 30-something ways. And she kept unpacking her parachute. Things kept being revealed. Kept re She never knew about herself in that moment. And she shared this. And I let her share it. I was at Gordon-Conwell. And my whole class, there was about 30 whites in the class. And I didn't want to bring up white privilege to them. you know. Mm -hmm. So I let this lady and Tim Keller speak to white privilege. But at the end of the class, they all understood what the lady was trying to say. And we all have blinders. We all have blinders. Yeah. When the spirit of God falls on any of us, whatever in our lives is not right will be revealed. And Tim Keller, Tim Keller has kept up the fight. If you, yes. if you follow him, he stayed, mm -hmm. he stayed really on the on focus. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. And uh, I really like that. Unpack your parachute. And she, she sought the Lord. And I think she, what she did is what everybody should do. If somebody yeah, yeah. brings up racism, whatever, we should immediately seek the Lord. Lord, what do you say? What do you say about this? But I find people, one white uh, pastor wrote me on Facebook behind Lamont and Rufo's debate, which was very civil. 
but he attacked Lamont the whole time. And I said to him in response, I said, I find it interesting that the only negative things you had to say about that whole presentation on YouTube was concerning Lamont and you had nothing to say to Christopher Rufo. I find that interesting. <laughs> that is what you call a bias right there for sure. So anyhow. You know, uh, Dan, what you said about the need for discernment and what Elaine said about the popularization of this issue, uh, of this issue, whether for or against critical race theory, mostly against it, uh, you know, has been popularized. Um, we, <laughs> As soon as you can name something as bad and evil and, and you know, somehow a threat to the church, then just the, just the word, just the word itself is like, ooh, you know, and there's fear and there's, you know, and, and people drop their God-given spirit-empowered ability for yes. discernment. And, I, you know, I recently had a, a, a brother in Christ. Um, he's 80. No, he just turned 90. 90 years old and he wrote me and said can you send me some information on critical race theory because i want to i want to listen to something from uh from an affirmative uh, view on it and here's a brother who's been a missionary his whole life he's he's you know uh, he's probably hearing a lot of the negative and and van you were so helpful to to send me some information and and to help him out but 90 years old and he's willing to listen and learn and discern and try to figure out what is this, you know, not just running away because of, of, of a term. And it's like, it's like when somebody starts talking about um, environmental uh, issues, it's like, Ooh, those are uh, nature worshiping tree huggers. It's no, you, you have to say, no, this is actually a biblical principle of yeah, caring for creation. God started this. Yeah. And, you know, man didn't make up this critical, uh, th this, the ideas, the core of the ideas in this about uh, the way we should treat each other. These are God's ideas. Yeah. yeah. These are biblical ideas. And yeah. Christians need to come back to wait a second. What is the core of what we're talking about here? And if they get back to that core, they won't step away. If they're, if they're true, devoted Christians, spirit filled Christians, they will dive in as 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 God helps us. <laughs> they will dive in and do what needs to be done. Yes. That's a good word. That's a good word. Excellent. Very good. Very our time's about out, so we oh, probably need to wrap this up. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, this has been a very good show, and I want to say to all the panelists, uh, I love you, and it's so good to see everybody after a little. We took a little hiatus there, but it's so good to be in dialogue back with all of you. And uh, I, I pray that uh, everything that's been shared, that there are our audience, there'll be people in the audience that you'll be touched and blessed and provoked. We want to comfort the disturbed and disturb those of you who are too comfortable. And don't let Marxism and communism, that attack fool you when we're looking at the gospel behind us. This is the Christological lens that we're looking at critical race theory and the hermeneutic of suspicion. So I think it's, I, I'm so grateful that God's grace, iniquity may abound, but grace does much more abound. Mm -hmm. And even though, uh, what's his name, uh, Derek Bell, faces at the bottom of the well, didn't think we'd ever, I'm so glad there is a heaven that we fight all the way on earth, but we're going to a place that is far greater, a shalom like we've never experienced. And I invite all of you that are listening, turn your heart over to the Lord, ask him. Let him speak to you.
you're 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 disheveled by all that's going on your peace is in the one who is our peace the shalom god himself he will meet your he will comfort your heart he will quell your mind he will give you your raison d'etre your reason for living so all of you the lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon each one of you and give you shalom in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.